Hey everybody, my name is Tom and I am the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And I just wanna say at the get-go, for those of you who are watching this in our Trumbull location, um, things are a little different this week. We wanted everybody to track through this kind of mini-series uh, together. So that's why you guys are getting me via video. I will be live in Trumbull next week and the folks in Stratford will be getting me via video. Make sense? Cool. Um, so any uh, podcast listeners out there? Um, I have been listening to a lot of podcasts recently, and this wasn't intentional, and they didn't come from Leanne, our executive pastor, who is from Australia, but there are a lot of Australian podcasts on my feed these days. Anyways, all that to say, I was listening to one called the Rebuilders Podcast, and they were talking about how we are moving from a complicated world to a complex world, a complicated world to a complex world. A lot of times we use those words interchangeably, right? They're, um, but they're, they're different. In a complicated world, things are linear, they're consistent, they're predictable, right? You can have an event, a relationship, a process. It, it can even have many, many parts in a, in a complicated situation. And if, um, if one of those things should happen to fail, if a part should fail, you can pull it out and replace it with the exact same part and be back up and running because everything is, is consistent. In a complex world, um, that consistency and that predictability is gone. Things change um, rapidly. And the kind of an analogy that I came up with to help us understand this is the comparison between an old school analog phone, like if you still have a landline, and, a, um, and the internet. And a, on an old school analog phone, you would make a phone call and there's one way, right? So if I'm calling Aunt Mabel in Kentucky, there's one way that that call is gonna get from me and Trumbull to Aunt Mabel in Kentucky. The right circuits get flipped and the call goes through in one way. With the internet, when information goes from a sender to a receiver in the internet, it gets broken up into a bunch of pieces called packets and they get scattered through all kinds of different computers that are networked together and they find the path of least resistance. They find the, the quickest way to get to the recipient. And then they get all put back together and you get them like in an email on the other end of it. Analog phone is complicated. Internet is complex. And that's the world we are moving into. They also, on this podcast, talked about kind of a, a concept that they refer to as the end of the American century, right? We think about the last 70 years and uh, just really how good things have been in the Western world and the fact that we have all fallen for the myth of progress, right? And the myth of progress is this, is that things will, will always just keep be getting better and moving up and to the right, right? Like when you look at a, a chart, things that go up and to the right are, are good and making progress. Um, and the idea that if, if we can fix whatever problem comes our way, and because this complexity is becoming our world, that's no longer the case, right? We can't just replace a piece or figure out if somebody's not doing their job and get a different person. There's way too many variables that inter, interact and affect each other. It's like the, you know, that butterfly effect. Butterfly flaps its wings in, the, in Australia, and somebody in California you know, takes a wrong turn kind of deal. Extreme example, but that, that kind of thing. Um, so this idea of complexity 
is fertile ground for disruption. And this disruption is what is bringing the, the American century to an end, that, that time frame when we could just fix whatever we wanted to and everything behaved as it was supposed to, everything was consistent and predictable. And this idea of disruption is just everywhere. It's everywhere, right? We look at our, we look at our world and there's increasing tensions between Russia and Ukraine. There's increasing tensions between China and Taiwan. There's a growing relationship between China and Russia. There's a, a tensions in our relationship with Russia and with China. Then there's the weather, which nobody can really seem to predict. It just changes um, at, at a whim almost. And then, um, of course, the, the pandemic, which has us all at the, the end of our ropes. There are um, things in our country that are, well, some of them, quite frankly, need to be disrupted, right? There are entire groups of people for whom justice is hard, if not impossible, to find, right? The poor, people of color, immigrants, unborn children, justice is impossible to find. And sometimes disruption can be a good thing, right? And it, it will take a disruption for justice to be found in some of those situations. Continuing to think about our country and where we're at right now, we are, we are polarized on just about every single issue. Right? If I had used the phrase social justice instead of justice two sentences ago, there's somebody out there that would have called me woke, maybe at best, or at worst, they would have called me a Marxist, right? We are polarized and we throw labels around and we put people in groups and they're bad and they're good and these are our people and we have to protect them. And um, it's, it's, a scary, it's a scary kind of thing. And maybe what's scariest as we think about the, that level of complexity within our country is what the emerging generations are seeing right now. The prevailing example that our children are receiving that is that whoever is the loudest and the angriest is the one um, that wins or um, gets the most likes or views or in some cases, the most votes. And then there's the disruptions that are happening within the, the Western church, right? We think about uh, the prevailing model of church regardless of denomination, regardless of size, megachurch, microchurch, whatever it is, the prevailing model of church is a highly centralized, top-down model of church. And churches that are organized like this are all, with, with a handful of exceptions, right? There's always exceptions. But the majority of them are struggling. They're struggling to reach people. They're struggling to meet people where they're at. There's too little um, life transformation. There's too little engagement. There's too many uh, abuse situations that are happening. So when we, when we look at this, these disruptions, we could think that, like, man, Tom is, like, really giving into the, the fear and, and, the, and the sky is falling. But that's not the case at all. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. This, what, what we're talking about, what we want to do, this is about hope. This is about seeing opportunity in the complexity 
and the disruption. This is about allowing God to do whatever it is he wants to do in and through us, however it is he wants to do it. Never has there been a point in time when the function of the church has been more important. Never has there been a time when the form of the church has needed to be more flexible. Us moving, us crossroads moving to a multiple location model is, um, is kind of just, a, just a, a stepping stone, right? I was, as shortly after I listened to that podcast, uh, I was on a, a Zoom call with some pastor leader friends, Sam in San Antonio, Texas, and, and Gary out in the, the Portland, Oregon area. And I'm listening to them t- tell their stories to me right, the disruptions that's going on in their lives, the disruptions that are going on in their churches, the disruptions that's going on in the areas around them. And God was impressing upon me that this idea of disruption, right, this is the world that we're moving into. He brought me back to that podcast. Complexity is fertile ground for disruption, and this is the world we're moving. We're going to have a new normal, but it's not going to be like the normal we came out of. It's not going to be 2017 in the, in the cafetorium at Frenchtown. The new normal is going to be an almost, almost constant is, is too extreme, but we're going, to just move, we're going to move from one disruption to the next. And as I sat there listening to Sam and Gary talk, and, and God was just really breaking through to me in that moment and pressing upon me what he has for us uh, in, the, in the coming weeks and, and months and years as Crossroads and what he, what he wants for us. And that's this, that we, we are working to be the church without interruption in the face of constant disruption. We want to be the disruption-ready church. We want to be disruption-ready. This is where God is taking us. And when I think about the disruption-ready church, it starts with the pursuit of Jesus and his kingdom. Right? In the disruption-ready church, we fear less and we love more. Right? It takes us from, from being focused on me and mine to focused on us and then moving out to focusing on them so that they become us. In the disruption-ready church, care and, and connection, is, it happens locally. Right? It's not centrally organized, but it's centrally supported. In the Disruption Ready Church, we reach out to our local friends and neighbors. We position ourselves in our everyday lives to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We, um, we, we not only make it easier for our friends to come to us when we have things going on, but we go to them. We go to them and, you know, kind of going back to the, the making it easier for them to come to us, I think about, it's like with, um, with fitness. So if, if your gym, the gym that you go to is close and the hours are convenient and it's clean and the people are friendly, you're going to be a lot more, um, you're going to be a lot, it's going to be easier to get to. And you're going to go more often and, and more frequently. That's what we need to think about with the disruption-ready church. Um, in the disruption-ready church, we could meet in one location, two locations, 12 locations, no locations, or some combination thereof. We think about the disruption-ready church, and it's more than 
an hour on Sunday. Right? We think about going to a, a Crossroads event or a service, and we know that we might not see everybody for a variety of reasons. Somebody's traveling, somebody's sick, somebody's quarantining, somebody's got a game. Right? But we know that they are still for us and they are still with us and we are still with them and still for them. And if we don't see them, we reach out to them on Tuesday morning or on Thursday night. There's 168 hours in a week, right? Our church services are 160. We have the other 167 hours outside of that one hour that we're in church. We come to recognize in the Disruption Ready Church that we recognize and we acknowledge that God has commanded us to gather weekly. It's critical and it's irreplaceable. And at the same time, we acknowledge and we recognize that our church services are not the only place that church happens. We become about way more than Sunday. So, in a disruption-ready church, we are locked into our vision of loving God, or sorry, our mission of loving God and loving others, and our vision of building communities come to know and grow in Jesus in a way that draws other people to do the same. We are locked into those two things and locked in to nothing else. So I'm gonna spend the rest of my time kind of laying the foundation for the Disruption Ready Church. And then next week, we're gonna get into some more specifics about what that looks like. And then in week three of this series, we're gonna, um, we're gonna dive back into emotionally healthy spirituality, but again, God's sovereign hand kind of guiding where we're going here in disruption, there's often grief and loss. And that's what we're going to look at in the next chapter of Emotionality Spirituality. In that, Pete Scazzaro is going to tell us that even in God's hands, even grief and loss can enlarge our souls and draw us closer to God. And then finally, in week four, we're going to spend some time uh, doing some location-specific brainstorming about how we can become the disruption-ready church that God wants us to be. All right, so here's the foundation. I'm going to read to you a passage from 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And we actually, I had Ben read this last week when we were talking about prayer, and it really just stayed with me, and, and I prayed about it, and I was thinking about it and meditating on it, and there's just so much in this chapter. In the Second Chronicles, we're going to kind of jump into the middle of a conversation that God is having with King Solomon. Right, where Saul, David, Solomon, the first three, first three kings. And Solomon is the one who was tasked with building a temple for God, the place where God's presence would reside. It would be the center of everything, the center of all religious life, cultural life, social life. It would be where the Israelites would, would gather and where they would meet with God. Right? So this is, like I said, we're jumping halfway into the, the middle of a, of a conversation. We're picking it up in uh, verse 13. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, this is God speaking now, or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will hear, heal their land. Now, my eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. 
My eyes and my heart will always be there. All right, so I highlighted some words in yellow, and we're going to start with God's people. And we mentioned it last week. But from the very beginning, right, from almost page one of the Bible, God has been about creating a people for himself, Adam and Eve. Right? Think about our study in Genesis. It was about God building a people for himself, Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Joseph's 12 kids, the tribes of Israel that became, that become the nation of Israel, that from whom Jesus comes out of. And then through the gospel of Jesus, the apostles take that message to the world and God continues building a people for himself. From the very beginning, God has been about building a people for himself. God's people, God's desire for his people is that they interact with him in a way that acknowledges both who he is and who we are. And really, when, when the reality of who God is is put in front of us, the only logical reaction is one of humility. Right? The verse says that if we would humble ourselves and come before him. We admit who he is and all of his greatness and all of his glory, and we admit who we are. Right? And then the next, the next phrase that I highlighted was um, pray, seek, and turn. Right? Pray, seek, and turn. So we admit who we are. We were created in God's image. Right? That's a big part of admitting who we are. A lot of us go through life down on ourselves for, the, you know, for our faults and our flaws and why couldn't we be this or couldn't be that. We're created in God's image. We are created for greatness and, and to do beautiful things and to be beautiful. But far too often, uh, we choose the path of least resistance and we choose to do ugly things. So we come before God and we confess those things to him. Right? We humble ourselves. We confess those things to him. Confess that we need him. And the phrase, um, pray, seek, turn, the words that I kind of paraphrase that with, confess, right, what we just talked about, we fix our eyes on Jesus, right, fix our eyes on him, and then we chase after him with everything that we have. Foundational, foundational steps in becoming disruption ready in our personal lives and in our lives together as, as a church. The next phrase um, says, heal their land. God starts uh, the, this passage that I read with talking about healing from plagues. Kind of, you know, it could be a way to describe the situation that we're in the middle of right now. And I don't, you know, I don't know, I don't know what things God allows versus what things he controls, but I know that he is in charge of it all. And so um, we are, as a, as a world, as individuals, as Crossroads Community Church, we're in the middle of this really long wall, right, like we talked about last week. And we learned last, or two weeks ago, um, that at the wall, right, God will meet us there. God is the only one who can bring us through the wall. He's the only one who can heal our land. And our job at the wall is to stay with God, to see what he has for us, and then determine what it is that he wants us to do about it. And we come out the other side of the wall looking more and more like him and the people that he wants us to be, the people that he created us to be. 
he mentions the temple, right? The phrase, the temple. And in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, the temple was a physical gathering spot. It was built, Solomon built it, it was destroyed, it was rebuilt, and eventually that was destroyed as well. But that was super, super important. I mean, it was the most important place. In the New Testament, after Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and return to heaven, God sends his spirit to us. And he says it in this way, that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are now the temple where God resides. Not, God doesn't just reside with us. He resides in us. All that power, all that glory that um, people would come to the temple to experience, we now have 24-7 access to. Because of the work that Jesus did when we enter into a relationship with him, we become the temple of God. Super, super important that we realize that, that, um, that God wants to do a work in us so he can do a work through us. It's going to be a big part of how we prepare ourselves to be disruption ready as individuals and as a people. Last thing that I want to point out is that um, the eyes and the heart. It says God's eyes will be on his temple. We're now his temple, right? His heart will be for his temple. We're now his temple. What is, if somebody's eyes are on you, what does that mean? His face has to be towards you. What have we been learning about the face of God that we've seen over and over and over again in scripture is that the face of God being towards you, the psalmist begs for it, he pleads for it, he begs that God wouldn't take his face from him. God's face being towards us is an expression of his joy, his gladness to be with us. And God's heart is an expression of his um, unconditional, unstoppable love that he has for us. Poured out and personified in the person of Jesus so that we might know that he is the God of love. And that as we come to know him and become more like him, we might fear less and love more. Right, so that's, that's just a handful of verses from the Old Testament where we, we can see what the foundation of being disruption-ready is all about. We humble ourselves before God as individuals and as a people, and we rely on him. We rely on him to do a work in us so that he can do a work through us. We don't rely on structures. We don't rely on formats. We don't rely on buildings. We rely on God we're going to take, um, in a minute, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to celebrate communion. And I, I can't really think of any better reminder of, um, of who God is and who we are and our need for God and his desire for us. And that, that act of humility um, is a, just this of coming to him and saying, yes, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your mercy. And his desire and his ability to meet us in that humility. That humility is an expression of our trust in the things that Jesus said and did and the things that he still says and does.